Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective with your host, Will Sigmund. Today I have a very uh, special guest. All my guests are special, but I have a close personal friend of mine who has graciously decided that he uh, was willing to come on here and talk about something that, you know, is a close personal journey of his. I very much appreciate him being willing to to come on um, and share his perspective with you guys. His name is Steve May. And Steve and I, we go back a long time. Um, We, let's see, 2007 at least, uh, when I started working at the Apple Store at Crabtree, Steve was, you were a manager back then, yeah? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... Steve Steve started off managing me, and then, you know, he he moved on from that position. We just Might have been on, on the panel that, that hired you. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, no, that was, that was good. Um, but welcome, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been fun to be here. Yeah, for sure. So let's rewind back, give the, the audience a little bit of a uh, idea of our rapport. So... Um, I think my most vivid memory, and I know I shared this with you before, of you uh, and me is that first iPhone launch that I was there for, because um, the original iPhone had already launched, and uh, it was going to be the iPhone 3G the following uh, summer, and I think you were opening manager, and I was in, on the opening crew, and you just got everybody super hyped. And it was so much fun being behind that black curtain. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. We, um, I think we we had all thought we were prepared. Yeah, everybody. You know, we've been through busy busy weekends before and product launches and and everything else. But that was that was unlike anything else. Um, uh, for those that remember, probably mostly because of the price, right? Because the original iPhone uh, debuted at like four ninety nine and five ninety nine, or maybe five ninety nine and six ninety nine. But with the carrier subsidy. The 3G was available as low as 199, so we knew it would be, no question, going to be a, a faster seller. But the, I think the crowd size, we weren't expecting uh, it to be quite that many people. I don't, I don't remember the exact count, but you know, some stores in the area it was like 700 people, and I, I think one, maybe it was us or, or Durham, was like 1,100 people in line, or so it was just, it was just insane. Um, uh, so we, we were, we were as prepared as we could be, but it was, it still blew our, our expectations away. Uh, we knew uh, we knew we had quite a day in front of us. So. Yeah, not just our expectations, but our POS systems <laughs> as well. Uh, that was not so so much of a fun memory. Um, not just later that day, but I also feel like I remember that happening uh, for the three GS as well. Um, the year after, it just I, yeah, it just became too much, and it was just a nightmare sitting in the store for like an hour or two. You got people waiting outside, and you're just you're feeling helpless. And oh my gosh, it was just—it was a yeah. wild, wild process. I, I think it was a little later with the f- maybe the four where we had uh, the last person we helped had been in line for like fourteen hours, right? And, and this is not like an upset person. He was like glad yeah. and grateful and happy and sort of proud that he had been in line that, that long. Uh, exactly, it was just, it was crazy. Yeah. So as the years went on, we became uh, better and better friends, and uh, at some point. I moved on from Apple. I think you moved on a little bit before me, if I recall. Yeah, just a hair. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but we kept up. um, And then uh, you started our now um, famous uh, Slack friend channel. And um, 
at some point you passed the baton to me, uh, but then you came back and, and now it's, you know, it's awesome to get to have you as a part of my daily conversations and hear about all the mishaps of your Apple products um, <laughs> day in and day out. Um, but, you know, after Apple, you went on to do just a couple of things. You want to like briefly recap where that took you to where you are now? Yeah, actually headed to um, an ASP or an Apple service provider, solutions provider um, after Apple. So local shop that, uh, you know, there used to be a lot of these before Mm -hmm. uh, Apple retail uh, came on the scene, a little mom mom and pop style Apple shops typically, or there would be like a large computer store, uh, like a CompUSA or Fry's kind of store that would also become an sort of Apple uh, reseller and have a little Apple section. what we saw happen over time is a lot of these resellers became managed service providers for IT as well. So they would, um, the, for those that aren't familiar with the term, those, those kind of companies are typically uh, good vendors if you have a small company um, or a small enough budget that you cannot hire full-time IT staff. So like we'd see like small private schools use us. We'd see like graphic design groups um, you know, they might have like 20 employees or something and, and they don't really have room for one or two IT people use us. And so we would, we would manage all aspects of their, their network and their computers, which is kind of cool. Um, that was a natural fit for a lot of the Apple providers because a lot of your small businesses, again, like certain schools and especially like, you know, graphic design, ad agencies, marketing agencies, those are likely to be the places where you might find a hundred percent Mac or at least a very high percent, uh, of, of Mac users. So. That was that was pretty fun. So I went went and worked there for a while, and then uh, I left there to do a startup with uh, a couple other pals, and uh, we made uh, we made apps for field service management, so stuff like fire and plumbing and commercial buildings and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. A, a world it might even play into some of our conversation today. Like that is a world that uh, has historically been so much paper and <laughs> nothing but paper everywhere, and any kind of um, buildings inspections safety. Uh, you just imagine like that van that has like five or six clipboards on the dash stacked high with paper. That was that world. Um, so I was there for a little while. And then uh, it recently, uh, in the past couple of years, actually one of my previous clients, uh, a, a design agency, uh, got big enough that they wanted to bring on full-time IT. And uh, they they sort of recruited me back. And uh, it was an interesting change going, going from sort of IT to developer, then would you really go back to IT? Like what developer would ever go back to IT? But if the circumstances are right, where it's a great group of people, a relatively small company, about 100 people, um, and uh, just just the perfect environment, perfect in the sense of like, not only do you control it, but it's like the kind of environment you would build if you had no obstacle, right? Like there's no body in your way. There's no real budget in your way. You can just build whatever you want. I think some people. I thought it was a little crazy, but I think I was like, some people would would take this this gig. So it, uh, oh, yeah. it, it that was a few years ago, and I'm still still doing it. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I know one thing um, that is a great strength of yours that I've always noticed is you know you you're very straightforward. You're very passionate about certain tech um, solutions, but you're also you, you seem like me in the sense that you like to make your decision quickly because you're confident and like, Hey, I know that this is going to be the best of 
these four things because maybe I tried it for uh, a couple uh, trials here, and then this this second one is going to be the best one, and you go with it. And um, I I had gotten the vibe that you did have a lot of control or have a lot of control based on commentary that you've made and you know the things that you've asked the group and that kind of thing. So you know I can totally imagine how that would be very enticing and kind of let you basically flex your strengths of your personality um, yeah. and your uh, your experience. Definitely. Yeah, I've been, been lucky to get into to such a position. So. so we are going to kind of get into the topic of, uh, of the episode here, um, which is your battle with cancer. And um, we're going to take a look at it from the perspective of um, using technology uh, with that. So do you want to kind of take us through, you know, your journey of how that came to be, your thoughts, your process, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I guess starting out, uh, most people would probably mention like how, how, how did you even find out <laughs> this thing, right? Yeah. Some people, uh, most of the time you go in for some routine thing uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't in any pain uh, or discomfort and they sort of find out through roundabout means. I don't know if it's a blood test or some other procedure or some image, imaging that they were getting for something else and then something comes up. But um, so I was, I was diagnosed with, with testicular cancer, which is uh, relatively rare, but uh, it's, it's very common in people's mindset. Like the, you know, some of this might go back to like Lance Armstrong. Maybe some of this is related to it. It sounds really scary. Um, but, but it, it, it's actually relatively rare. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very common in men. Uh, it, it's not common in men, uh, ages 25 to 35, but it, it's one of the more common cancers among relatively young men, which I also think is why it, it, it probably gets a lot more press than, uh, or has a lot more public awareness than, than maybe certain other cancers that are, that are far more likely to occur, uh, and far, far more numerous. But um, one of one of the good things about, I guess, good things, if you will, about this cancer, is it's it's relatively easy to detect, right? Because uh, uh, probably uh, similar to breast cancer, um, your or skin cancer, right? You're you're going to have something on the outside of your body that's wrong, right? A discoloration or a bump or something like that, a lump, um, and these can only get so big before they're either very noticeable or very painful, right? And so early detection, um, or at least early enough detection, uh, is, is fairly common with, with this. And so like, like most other people, um, I noticed, I noticed some pain and, um, you know, every, every male has felt some sort of, uh, uh, pain in the testes, whether they just sat wrong or got bumped or kicked or, or something like that. But this was different, right? And it was, it was hard for me to describe uh, at first, but what what made my brain immediately go to maybe this is cancer is because it felt different than anything that I've ever felt. Um, it, it was pain, but it was it's hard to describe. It wasn't crushing. It wasn't squeezing. It wasn't sharp. It wasn't burning. Um, it, it, I don't really have a word for it. It was just different, and that difference was alarming, right? And so... You know, if, if you feel something and it feels like something you felt before, maybe you're okay. Maybe you just, you know, sat wrong, pinched yourself, something like that. 
um, this this was definitely different, and that's that's what what spooked me. So yeah, yeah. I, I uh, whenever this happens, whenever you you suspect uh, some kind of testicular problem, it's it's funny that the doctors are always like you know straight to urology, right? You can go to your PCP, you can go to urgent care or, or wherever, and they almost always send you straight to uh, urologists who you might think that's you know those are only for like super old. Uh, fellas like I did, I thought, oh, those are old fellas that are having trouble you know, using the restroom or something. But that that's not, you know, they do a lot of stuff. <laughs> so uh, they, they do tons of stuff and not just not just uh, related to, to urine, right? They do all kinds of stuff in the lower abdomen and, and stuff like that. So, you know, you get next, you get an ultrasound and, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of guys probably haven't gotten ultrasounds, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and I hadn't either, uh, but, uh, the tech was taking like a really long time. It was like really quiet. And I just, I just felt, I was like, yeah, I mean, go ahead and say it. Right. And, and the tech's like, you have some abnormalities. Right. But like, they're not really supposed to, they don't make diagnoses, yeah. <laughs> you know, per se. Right. And so, uh, when I got back to the urology, uh, you know, I think it was a few days later, he, he, uh, the doctor said, uh, yes, you, you definitely have testicular cancer um, and we need to operate, you know, right away uh, before it before it spreads. About how long was it between the time you thought you first started to realize it to the time that you did something about it? Oh, this this was lightning fast. I think uh, it's funny with the dates. Like, I think it was January 10th of 2020 that I either that was either the day I suspected or the day I had the first appointment um, with the urologist. And it was the 17th of January, not a week later or barely a week later that I actually had a uh, first surgery. So yeah, that sounds just like you to, to be like super, super efficient. Um, just like in, you know, your professional life, that doesn't surprise me at all. And good for you for acting on it because I've been through lots of medical stuff myself. The best person to know your body is yourself. And to not ignore those internal screams, if you will, saying, hey, there's something wrong. So that's that's great that you did something fast. Yeah, especially when it's when it's it's weird or hard to describe. Right. If you're mm -hmm. if you're very familiar with it. OK, maybe maybe it's nothing, you know, but yeah. All right. So the urologist told you that, yes, you have cancer, scheduled the surgery. No wow. Yeah. And it was it was interesting because he, he set pretty good expectations actually early on. He's like, so. Yeah, we need to operate right away to remove the the cancerous tumors, but it's not that simple. You know, most people are going to be fighting this for a long time. So he said, whatever you planned, it's funny with 2020, especially, but he's like, whatever you planned for 2020, throw that out the window. Right. And it's funny because that, that became true for everyone <laughs> because of COVID. If anyone's listening to this in like 30 years, it's because of COVID-19. But uh, he said, you're, you're probably going to spend the year in one form or another, uh, fight, you know, fighting this even, even after the surgery. And there may be other surgeries, there may be chemo. Yeah. We don't know for sure, but very few people get off scot-free. And so I was like, man, you know, like I, I, I thought we caught it early or. Was it, was that surprising to you to hear that it was going to take some time? And when you heard of the amount of time, did the amount of time surprise you or were you like, okay, that's not that bad. I was actually, I was actually surprised because, you know, I was under, like a lot of people, you, you might feel like I know a fair amount about cancer, right? Or I got family members who've gone through cancer or friends or, you know, read, read this or read that, or uh, I might even be a physician. You know, I'm not necessarily an oncologist, but I might be like a general practitioner or, a, or just, you know, any, anyone in the medical field. But I guess what I, 
what the trap I fell into, like so many people, is I it wasn't that I was overly optimistic, but I was like, all right, we caught this, get that surgery, knock it out, I'm done. Good to go. Right. Um, I understand that some people have a hard time and it takes a lot longer. Um, but that won't be me, <laughs> you know. So I, I think that op- optimist uh angle or, or general positivity and stuff uh is fine. Um but it's it's easy to have that balloon be popped, <laughs> right? And so if all your hopes are riding on curing this quickly or solving it quickly, um, that went out the window quick, you know, very almost immediately. Uh, and, and I started to realize, that, okay, the best case scenario is uh, it, at a minimum, we'll have to monitor this for a long time, for years. You know, ye- it means years of, of extra testing uh, and the kind of testing you wouldn't normally get. Like most people don't normally get a comprehensive blood panel every six weeks. Uh, most people don't, don't get CT scans unless they're injured or have some major, uh, major issue, right? A CT scan is not routine preventative care. Um, they're really expensive and they're potentially bad if you get a lot of them, right? Like it's fine if you need it, but uh, if you got one every week, you'd, you'd, you know, so. So that, that, that was fun to let that settle on me at first. Um, and that's probably where the door opened to, okay, there, there's actually a lot more to this than I thought there might be. And that, uh, you know, my brain, even in that meeting, when he told me you're going to spend all 2020, you know, sort of fighting this, my brain immediately went into, I better start building a system. I better start, you know, thinking about my to-dos and notes and contacts, and next steps. And like, like immediately went into that, uh, what sort of, hardware software stack am I going to put together to like yeah, totally. attack this? <laughs> First of all, it sounds like you. It sounds like uh, probably a few of our friends as well. And and that's great. I love, I love that perspective. It was like you were going to try to control whatever you could control in your situation because in that sense, you know, I'm a little bit psychoanalyzing you, but you felt like that would tamper some of that anxiety, I suppose, if you had control of certain things like that. Oh, totally. And it, it's very easy to slip into, to slip into depression, right? About, about things, or especially when you feel overwhelmed. In fact, it's, it's one of those questions. I, I don't know. I'm sure you're participating in the various uh, Apple research studies. Mm-hmm. I think I, I do all the ones that they offer. There's like two or three right now. Right. And so I, I think it's the general wellness or maybe it's the hearing one, but one of them, they are always asking, yeah, how, how confident are you that, that things are somewhat within your control or something like that? Right. And they ask you that all the time, but that, that's definitely a question that if, if translated to street language, if you will, they're asking, are you depressed? <laughs> right. Um, they don't say it that way, but that, that's sort of what they're, what they're checking for. And I think a huge factor for being on top of that, e- even in the context of really bad news is what can you control? Right. Uh, and so, for me, I knew that I was going to be able to at least control like what's going on, what's the next step, uh, where am I at, treating it like a project, like a big, uh, any big project, personal or technical or construction or, or whatever. Uh, I knew that would that would work well for me. That you know, there are other things people talk about, like you're controlling anything that you can, even if it's completely unrelated, like garden, make sure you do your gardening every day. Right. Or like, like make your bed and stuff is like these very basic things that you can control no matter what kind of day you're having, you, you might be able to make the bed or something. And that, that, that sort of gives you this feeling of accomplishment and, and control that, that can fight some of the, some of the darkness. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you feel that the pandemic helped you in your, ended up being a positive thing because 
he felt like maybe the world was slowing down while you also had to slow down. Do you, do you, did you did you res- did it resonate with you in any type of positive way? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that. It was sort of like a separate battle that happened at, at the same time. But I think I think one positive thing, uh, probably overwhelmingly positive thing, right, is is uh, for those of us fortunate enough to be able to work remotely, um, even if your job previously didn't allow it or. You know, we've, we're finding lots of companies like, oh, you know, we don't really allow full-time remote work. And now, oh, it's totally fine, <laughs> you know, uh, which has been, that's been a huge boon uh, in the pandemic for some people. Um, and I think it, it wasn't so much a boon directly for me because I, I live very close to work. I don't mind going into work. Um, if anything, sort of the opposite was true. Like they, they actually needed me to be there because we were in the middle of moving offices. Um, but what I found was I got to sort of work in a new office doing the network stuff. And because of COVID-19, I'm alone, right? So even if I didn't have a, a personal battle I was fighting, you rarely get a chance in IT to like go, unless it's like a brand new building or something, right? To go in and just set stuff up. It's quiet. <laughs> There's nobody around. You're not stepping on anybody's toes. Um, and you're sort of uh, totally in charge of your little world there. Um, that's that's kind of nice. So th- there was a there was a very odd time um, of just being alone, um, and that gives you a lot of time to think, of course, too, right? And then it also gave me a lot of time to to listen to stuff. I'd listen to various um, things related to um, you know, the battle I was facing and stuff, and you sort of build up knowledge while you're while you're working and stuff. Yeah. So okay, you had the surgery. Um, it was uh, by all intents and purposes successful, correct? Yeah, so the original surgery is successful, um, and then they they identify you know the type of of cancer it is, which of course things get complicated, right? Because there's actually like four or five different things that it could be, and as most people know, cancer is just a very broad term. Um, it's, it's actually kind of hard to define, right? Because it can be all all kinds of things. Um, and so, you know, what they what they removed was actually it wasn't even as simple as one of four or five kinds. It's like I'm learning stuff all the time. It's like, oh, it's 82% this. And then it's like 10% this. And it's like a few percentage this other thing. And these are all terms like semitomas or uh, germ cell tumor or things like that. Um, and you, know, you can go look. You know, so I'm finding myself looking up all these, like which one's really bad and which one's a little bad. And, and it, of course, the answer isn't even that simple. You know, But they have different properties. Like some of them spread really, really slowly. Uh, some of them don't want to leave the area they're in. Some of them, the more dangerous ones, right, very quickly go to your, in this case, your lungs and your brain. right? And that's where things become lethal. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. Right. So those those you got to fight quickly. Yeah. All right. So um, you had the surgery, and then how long after that did you start treatment? Yeah. So uh, after the surgery, um, what they immediately did is uh, this this did uh, lots of blood labs and stuff like that. Um, and there are these various tumor markers in the blood. Um, and this this is probably probably the first piece of tech that really uh, helped me was access to that lab information was was very um, very helpful, right? So, I mean, in the past, sure, you probably would have got would have gotten a doctor's report or paper printout, but having immediate access to that lab, um, especially getting a lot of this done at the hospital, means that uh, you know their labs are really quick. So, a lot of times, I'd get my blood drawn, and an hour later, I'd know 
I, I have full details, right, of everything. And while the point of the lab is to get these various tumor markers, um, you were able to look at other things. Uh, and I sort of had a glimpse into the future, right? So like I, I had a very good quality grip on things that we normally don't know. Like what is my iron? What is my magnesium? Like basic stuff. Like you assume it's fine and it probably is fine, right? With a, with a reasonably healthy diet. Um, but you don't know. You never know it's fine like you do with a lab, right? So it's funny because I immediately was able to address like other minor issues that like the oncologist didn't actually bring up, but I would bring up. I'd be like, hey, my my iron looks a little low. Like, should I take a supplement? Should I change my diet? Or, uh, this happened with me with magnesium, with iron, with calcium, right? And I'm like, I'm eating fairly healthy. I'm taking a multivitamin. I'm exercising, drinking lots of water. Um, you know, like I feel like my nutrients are all fine and I don't think any of those were specifically cancer related, but it's interesting to have very frequent, fully comprehensive blood panels and to look at this data and be like, you know what? My iron's actually not fine. And it doesn't mean I'm about to die, but it might mean that, you know, my energy is lower than it could be. Right. Or my uh, focus with stuff like, I don't know, you know, zinc or magnesium, whatever, like uh, if these levels are really low, you know, all kinds of effects can happen. And most of them aren't, aren't terrible, but they're not optimal. Right. So yeah, that, that was and, one of the first things that hit me. And sometimes it's not like, quote, your fault. It's just the way your body is. Um, and I know, you know, Cassie, my wife, she deals with vitamin D deficiency and she does all the same things. I mean, general healthy diet, drinks lots of water, moves around, blah, blah, blah. But like just her body is just, I think it's a, a more common thing in women anyway, but you know, that's very interesting. And it makes you think, you know, uh, not to like get off on a tangent, but as you're telling me this, I'm thinking all the different things that a future wearable piece of tech could do to keep you on that track that you simply don't have access to right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and having that data was amazing. Um, and, and, and the approach toward it, right. I, I think some people, uh, obviously the dark side of, of having tons of data, right. Is when, uh, what's the word for it? A hypochondriac or if you're too worried about yeah. your, your health, right. So there is a potentially a slippery slope for some people, but, um, I had that approach of like, okay, I, uh, I know what iron is, right. I know what, I know what these chemicals or these minerals are, but I know that at the same time, I'm not a physician, right. I, so I, I like having the data and then being able to go to the physician, right. So I didn't act on any of this data. Right. I, I brought it up both to my oncologist and my PCP and said, what is your interpretation of this? And obviously not just a data point, but like here are my last two or three labs and we can look at the graph. And so what, what do you what do you recommend? Right. And then, you know, I, I would go on that. But a lot of times, I mean, what's your PCP working on? Right. They're working on a physical once a year or they're working on what you say. Right. Which I mean, it, it's not that you're withholding information or giving bad information, but we just don't have really uh, precise internal diagnostics, right? No one knows that they even have iron in their body unless they're educated in that <laughs> factor, right? Like we just don't know. And honestly, most of the time we don't need to know. Uh, right. it's, it's it's not like, like what would you have done differently yesterday? You know? Uh, so, but, but yeah, I, I became really excited about the potential in the future for much more perpetual diagnostics is, is something I, I think of. Um, especially with minimally invasive or not invasive at all things like like an Apple Watch, right? And we talk about uh, maybe doing like bl blood sugar in the future. Uh, things like that would be would be really just uh, unbelievable. Not not just in convenience, uh, but in uh, monetary savings and stuff like that are just awesome. 
Yeah. At least for the people that, yeah, for the, for the consumer, it's awesome. <laughs> if, if you make the, the strips, it might not be awesome, but yeah. <laughs> right. How long would you say that peak of intensity uh, of, of treatment or, or, you know, all that, all that, that entails after your surgery went on slash is it's, I think it's lowered a little bit yeah. here we are over a year later. So at what kind of time frame were you like at that peak? Yeah. So right. I suppose like within six weeks after surgery, it it became clear that my tumor markers uh, weren't going down. And so they they do some CT scans and they find that there are various swollen lymph nodes in the the far lower abdomen. And these lymph nodes are, they don't really have any other reason to be swelling. So they just, they just are pretty sure that they're they're cancerous, right? But uh, it's still just an image. So the sort of the next major thing I had to have was a uh, lymph node biopsy. That's where they stick some needles, really long needles, <laughs> uh, for those those who are scared of needles. But uh, they stick them in there, and they they actually get some material out of those lymph nodes, and they're able to confirm that okay, the, yeah, this is this is basically testicular cancer, but it's moved up into your abdomen now. And um, so we gotta we gotta we gotta fight that. And that's where the next the next step for me was to do uh, chemotherapy. Just four. It was going to be four rounds of chemotherapy, so four four weeks with some space in between to rest. Um, and uh, so that would be spread out over several months. And that's where COVID came to play again, because right when I, right when it was set up that like, okay, we need to do chemo, the hospitals started to panic because COVID was surging. And this is like late March, early April. So my, my oncologist, uh, who's, at, who's at University of North Carolina, uh, he was told, uh, and he, he's pretty seasoned, right? He's pretty, pretty veteran. Uh, fellow over there, um, he was told to have himself and his entire team stand by to go work in the ICU and to just stop their chemo uh, and other cancer operations. So just like reschedule people, we need you in the ICU. And that's how that's how high the, the fear got. And he was like, I've never worked in an ICU. Most of my staff has never worked. I mean, I'm. he's like, I'm better than a random person on the street because I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor. Like I understand, you know, some things, but he's like, I'm not your guy <laughs> to work. To work, I am not an ICU. He, he, so he he recognized the the profession uh, as very distinct from what what he did, and and you can see. I was kind of surprised he shared that with me because his, his face. Yeah, was, I was gonna say he, he was he was distraught about. You're that. like, um, remind me not to to grab you if I have to come into the ICU. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, like willing, willing, and he was gonna do it, but but sure. it was it was definitely like. It was a very strange time. So what happened was uh, my uh, that level of panic actually uh, backed off a little bit because it turns out turns out that like at least at least uh, in this area the the ERs and, and ICUs and stuff were never overwhelmed as far as I knew. And I, I think they hit like 80 percent or something, but I, I don't think they were ever completely overwhelmed. So his practice never actually closed, but it it, it got really reduced. And they were told like new cases push them down the road and stuff like that. So my, my chemo was delayed from March to I think to like July. Like it didn't it didn't actually happen for several months. So I, I was quite upset actually um, at not being able to do that because like you yeah. you you know there's something wrong with you. You know you, the next step, but then you have to wait, right? And so that was that was tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. And then uh, you finished chemo at what point? Uh, it went from like July to September. September. Okay. So from, I, I guess 
January 17th until September. What kind of things external? You, you mentioned materials and what kind of things were you filling your, your mind with as far as learning materials or what kind of things were you getting off your mind with tools that you were using, you know, to organize Like what, what were you, what were you doing? What did you find to be helpful or not helpful during that, uh, you know, several month period? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot there and that should be the meat, probably the meat of our conversation and hopefully it's fun for, for others. Um, so I recognized right away that, that I needed to build a, a sort of system, right? And I talked to my uh, fiance and she's, she's very similar minded in terms of like getting things done and project management style systems and, and, and how we want to do, how we want to do things and things like that. Um, and so I guess it started with the internet, right? And, um, People say, especially with medical information, like don't, you know, don't don't be a WebMD doctor or things like that. But to me, the internet is a tool, right? Like all of these things we'll discuss, it's a tool, and uh, it's a it's probably the greatest tool that's ever been created, right? By by humanity, if used in the right way. <laughs> big big caveat there. So the, the, starting with the internet, it made it possible for me to prepare and to learn as much as I could, right? But the I think the attitude, right, is I need to read stuff and and not necessarily act on it, right? What I'm doing is preparing myself to have a better conversation with the doctor. And I, I, I treat cars, actually, of all things, cars the same way. Like you can read all about cars on the internet and you can watch YouTube videos, but a lot of times the value in that isn't necessarily doing it yourself, but having a better conversation with the mechanic, right? Or with, with a really good mechanic that you trust and you, you uh, know uh, you know, isn't there to rip you off, and 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 a really good technician of any kind will appreciate you asking good questions and you having a general knowledge of what you're talking about, right? Um, the the bad image of the tech or the IT person of the doctor is like this very arrogant person, right? And everyone on the street is stupid and doesn't know anything about cars or doesn't know anything about computers or or whatever. But that's that's no fun in my opinion. So starting on the internet, uh, sort of the ways I try to kept it positive, right? Is uh, when it, if I wanted specific information, I would stick to peer-reviewed papers, you know, which can be hard to read, right? Sometimes, but I would go to actual like academic or published papers or things in scientific journals or published uh, at at facilities or universities and things like that, right? Health is some of the worst information on the internet, right? Like the, when you search for like, I mean. I dare you to search for like weight loss, right? I mean, my God, the, the amount of misinformation and just the amount of information that has no sources or citations or whatever. It's, it's just, it's really hard to get quality information. And, on you know, speaking of that, you know, we're, we're within the same generation and depending on when this airs in comparison to other episodes, um, I have had, I had this conversation with another uh, person that I had on and we're in a generation where we have, we have grown up with the internet and we have the privilege, or we have had the privilege of understanding piece by piece how to interpret data on the internet as far as, uh, what is to be trusted and what is to not. And so in, in some kind of a natural way, I think Gen X slash millennial, whatever you want to call it, 80s babies slash early 90s, we have had the 
ability to slowly gain that ability to decipher fake news, I guess is the like easiest blunt way I okay. could put it. But to kind of weed out that that anxiety ridden comment on a random medical blog versus, you know, a reputable source. So getting that good info, that was probably the big or a big piece was getting the good information um, quickly, which the information, of course, is there because it's the Internet. The problem, as you said, is, is actually filtering out the bad stuff. But community was another huge aspect of the Internet for me. Um, and we live in a time where uh, like social, social media is the Internet community for most people in one form or the other. It's Facebook or Twitter or stuff. Um, and, and they have positive uses, of course, like any other tool. And they have potentially negative uses as well. Um, what, what I sort of landed on for community was uh, actually a subreddit, r slash testicular cancer, which uh, again, Reddit is one of those places. Um, there, there are a bunch of crazy and immature you know, morons. Uh, and there are also communities on Reddit um, that are incredibly helpful, right? I've, I found this with stuff like with a lot of technology, especially like administrative and IT related subs. It's just very, very concise, very serious not not negatively serious, but just we're here to answer questions and help each other. And there's no fluff. There's frankly not a ton of humor. It's just helpful, right? And it, 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 to me, Reddit done right is it goes back to you know us being older folks now, the early days of the internet where uh, the forum, we called it the forums, right? Every, every site had forums or a lot of sites were forums. And the whole point was to post information and, and share uh, and get good answers. And um, you hear good stories about that from people reminiscing. Um, I had Christian Selig. I'm going to pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, Apollo? Apollo? Yeah. yeah and my last ep- that's, that's my writer. Now. Yeah, uh, on my last episode. And we literally had exactly that type of epiphany and conversation as a part of uh, our conversation, which is used correctly. Reddit is such an amazing community. Um, and I feel like a lot, a lot of times it gets a bad rap, but if you're willing to like roll your sleeves up, you know, to an extent, you can find some super specific random subs that are either really funny, really weird, really helpful, really communal, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure that that sub isn't like super niche, but, um, you know, it's, just, it's not something that everybody deals oh, with. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if you have that apprehension of like, I don't want a fire hose or I don't want too much stuff. I mean, yeah, if you go to like a you know, funny pick sub or something, sure, there's going to be 54 million subscribers and it's going to be a bunch of, you know, funny stuff, but nonsense too. But like when, when you, when you get to a sub like mine, this testicular cancer one, yeah, you might find there's like 5,000 subscribers. Right. And, 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 and that might seem too low to be useful, but it's not at all. Right. Cause like what would your circle of friends look like? Right. It's not 5,000 people. Right. So in what I would find on there is uh, some motivation, right. There are, there are definitely some people that you know are, are, are there to share their stories, but lots of really good answers on things that I could not find on the internet and I could not get from my doctor. And I don't know anybody personally who's been through the same issue. So like, what was this like for you? was really hard to find an answer or what should I expect with this upcoming surgery? Right. And I'm sure you've seen this as somebody who's been through a few surgeries, right. Is like, Hey, yo, tens of thousands of people got just in the United States, maybe got this surgery this year. Why is no one talking about it? Right. 
Does, is there not one that can share their experience? And that's what I would find is like literally the only thing, the only person who would say what this chemo was like is somebody on this <laughs> subreddit or with this other upcoming surgery I got. Uh, what, what, you know, what was recovery like? What do you recommend? Things like that. So that kind of stuff, it's, it kind of goes back to control. Like it's so much better when you know what to expect, yeah. I think. And to know uh, just to have a, a tip or two, right? And, and, and even knowing that like, okay, maybe you know, drinking oolong tea or something really helped that person. Maybe it won't help me, but I really appreciate that they said that, right? Because one, it doesn't hurt me to try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just, just knowing that there are little things, uh, it might not be oolong tea for me or something, right? But there are little things that made it so much better for them. Maybe I'll find something uh, that make it better for me. Actually, a very real example was uh, Jolly Ranchers. Uh, people, uh, Jolly Ranchers, the kind of thing I don't dislike Jolly Ranchers, but I like. I'm not going to go buy Jolly Ranchers, right? It's just not something I think about when I go to the grocery store. I, I'm not that guy that has like like our grandpa that has like ten in his coat pocket all the time. That's, but you know, one of the things that happens with uh, this kind of chemo and other kinds of chemo, specifically with the uh, cisplatin, for those out there facing some cisplatin treatment is uh, you, your mouth, uh, you start to taste like, it's like you have metal in your mouth all the time. It's like you're just chewing on a metal rod <laughs> or something. Um, and I mean nothing, not not water, not not tea or even a soda, like uh, nothing you eat, peanut butter, like nothing gets that taste out of your mouth. And it's, it's not like the end of the world, but it's, uh, it's just really annoying. Like nobody wants to have metal in their mouth. But for some reason, and I, I didn't bother to look into the chemistry of it. And I, I bet it'd be another one of those things that no one actually talks about. But Jolly Rancher is the cure. It really does. It, 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 the cure is a Jolly Rancher. And it doesn't matter which one. I know some people like, people hate on the apple, right? Or they they love the, the red ones or the grape. But it, so I had this massive, this comical bag. Uh, I, I think I got this bag to give you an idea. So Jolly Ranchers are really cheap anyway. But this bag was $20 to give you an idea of how utterly massive. Gracious. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just popping Jolly Ranchers in this stupidly large, uh, I don't remember if I got that one at like Costco. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. And Definitely large. What's, what's your favorite flavor? Or you just didn't care? I Honestly, I, I, I'm partial to the grape. Uh, uh, and I, I kind of agree with the, the green apple haters. It, yeah. it, I don't, I won't throw them away, but I'm definitely not uh, uh, ecstatic when that's the one I put uh-huh. on the back. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so. Nice. Well, that's a very insightful. Yeah. So that was that was those are sort of the two parts uh, of of the internet as a tool is the info and the communication. Being more specific, um, yeah, Apollo I used for Reddit. Uh, for those digging into Reddit on mobile, um, not to dog on the website or the app, but there there are some third party apps. Uh, Apollo being my favorite personally, that just just make it a lot easier, in my opinion, to view and to get through the comments and collapse things. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people go into the third-party apps to sort of get around ads and stuff. And that, that, I mean, that can clean up the view as well, but um, that's sort of secondary almost to me. Um, so Apollo was one of the one of the first tools I was using um, uh, right, right off the bat. Uh, my, so talk, we talked a little bit about like lab results and coordinating and, and all these, all these, uh, upcoming appointments and surgeries and stuff. And so uh, an- another another big app, if, if we want to get into some specifics, mm-hmm. uh, another big app I, I, I had sort of almost day one was uh, MyChart, um, which a lot of organizations use now, uh, made by made by Epic. Um, and it, it's one of those apps, you know, you first download it, you're like, yeah, I have to get this. It's probably going to suck, but it's sort of how my doctor wants to interact with me. I mean, 
if you're a design aficionado, you'll have some critique for sure, but it's so much better than the alternative. I, 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 even being in the electronic age, they still sent me home early on with like two or three binders, like three ring binders packed with paper. Right. Um, and it was just all this information and all this stuff about treatment and the next steps and stuff. But ha- having the MyChart app, uh, all the data from my cancer care was put into there. Right. So lab results, any kind of doctor's notes, upcoming appointments, uh, anything I had to fill out that I appreciated so much. Right. Because we still regularly go to a place and get handed the clipboard and we have to fill out information that they already have. What's your first name? Your middle name, your birthday. It, it's magic, right? And then everybody, like, hey, I've been here for 10 years and you're making me fill out like the family medical history. And it's just, it's so painful. All that stuff is in my chart. And you, for the most part, I have, you know, fill that kind of stuff out once. There's some repetitive stuff, like we just want to make sure your insurance is still the same and, and stuff like that. That's fine. Um, so ha- having that was critical. Um, I appreciated that it connected to other organizations, right? So, uh, for the most part, all of my care was done under one system, um, but uh, well, like one ho- UNC hospital system. But the the urologist was not part of that system, right? So, but he was able to automatically feed information in, and so it's it's much easier to see uh, everything. Um, then there's connections and stuff to like calendar, and that's probably the next big tool that I that I used um, was actually not dumping this stuff to my calendar, but made I made a shared calendar. Uh, and this, this we did with Google. You can do it with, with iCloud and with other services, but I, I went ahead and made a shared calendar called treatment calendar and shared it with my fiance. Right. So, um, she would know when planning her weeks, like what days I'm supposed to be at chemo, uh, chemo, especially because there's so many events, right? There's, there's events of like the actual treatment, which is like two hours here, three hours there. And it, the, the times would change, right? Like one day it's at 1145, one day it's at 1155, right? And like, you might think that that doesn't matter. Just arrive early. Sure, you can do that. But like, I want to know, you know, when it's actually supposed to start. Um, but chemo isn't just you sitting in the chair, right? There's also all the stuff that happens around it. I had like seven different medications, oral medications that had to be taken at different days and different times. And some of them were only for the first two days and others were only after the first week. And it was really complicated, like really complicated. Um, and I thought about getting one of those big grids, like, like, um, like the Monday through Sunday, you know, um, pill sorters, but putting like seven of them together and just making like a month <laughs> or something. But it, even that was like kind of, it was kind of like stretching my mind to the point of pain. Right. So I, I ended up doing, um, the all the all the drugs and stuff that we're supposed to take on the treatment calendar, um, and and that would also help her know you know what I was supposed to be taking and when. However, you know a calendar uh, a calendar is great in my opinion for like time blocking and when you're supposed to do things, but a calendar isn't proof that you did anything. Right, it just says you're supposed to be somewhere, and so I, I would also have this stuff in uh, a checklist um, to make sure that I I did that. I think I used things for this purpose, but reminders and other apps would be similar. Um, so being able to fully check that off was, was really useful and being able to, to program whatever the prescription said, like take this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at these times, was able to program that ahead of time into the checklist system, right? So there's, you think about it once and you really think about it and program it. 
and then it's set, right? And so you're not looking back at the bottle constantly or or, or second guessing yourself or stuff like that. Uh, did you did you ever consider just as someone who takes medication myself and has had those types of situations after surgery and whatnot, where you're like, oh gosh, I don't even want to take this so much, uh, so much of the time. But did you ever think about getting a more specified piece of hardware or app? For that, like pill pack, or there's another one I think that's like a, a machine that divvies things out. But oh yeah, yeah. I think I've I've, I've, I've seen uh, one of those. I I did, and I, I I started to, and then I realized, okay, I, I've got. I think if it was going to be perpetual, like with something chronic or you know something that I I, I didn't have an end to. I would absolutely get one of those, right? And I, and I take a few regular medications as well. I take two or three, but it, it's pretty much the same in every morning. Yeah. And it's fine, you know. Um, so I just I usually just grab multivitamin, grab those two, and call it a day. But I, I I think the reason I stopped is I was already pretty deep into building out this system in my in my things dot app, um, and uh, I was like, you know, in this case, it helped me. I think with some like motivation, I was like, I want to get this sort of medication management app, but also this is chemo and we're going to knock it out and be done. Right. And I don't need it. Right. So I almost, it, in that case, it was motivating because it helped me think of the end. Right. And um, then I'm going to return to a time where I'm not juggling all these medications. That's good. Yeah. It's like a uh, back of your mind mental. Uh, that's interesting. Totally. Yeah, very, very interesting perspective, if you will, uh, that I wouldn't have necessarily thought about. Yeah. I think in most cases, though, like, yeah, there are a lot. Of, I, I did research a few, downloaded a few, played around, and it seemed like a really positive thing, especially if you're like me. I mean, I've, I've, like a lot of people have a pretty, pretty solid routine. But then, you know, if you if you asked me right now, like, oh, did you take this thing last Tuesday? I'd be like, yep. oh, no, <laughs> did I? Right. And so being able to go. Yeah. Down, sometimes like I, I'll have my handful that I take in the morning and. One of them is like a acid reflux medicine, and it'll be like after lunch, and I'll, you know, not to be TMI, but I'll like I'll burp, and it'll feel it'll feel like tingly. I'm like, oh man, I forgot to take my pills this morning, so then I, you know, got to go back and do it. That's about the only time that makes me remember, other than just being like, did I take them or not? Can't remember. So that's good that you have. I think that. having that ledger, right, yeah. is great too. And, and we actually did that too with, of all things, we did that. I know it would be mostly tech here, but we did that with paper as well. So like where the, where the medicine was near the cabinet, we had uh, just, you know, basic paper log as well. And I would, I would do that um, both for myself and also for my fiance. So like she, you know, she was definitely on top of it and making sure that um, she's good at reminding for, for like a lot of people are right about stuff. Uh, uh, medicines and appointments and stuff. And so just having that paper log there um, actually eliminated, uh, you know, it's not that it would be tension or whatever, but it eliminates the questions or the excessive questions that can come up in a household where somebody's taking care of someone else, right? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? They care about you. That's why you're asking. But also we all can only stand so many of those questions, <laughs> right? Before you start to slip. So having that paper log right there, and again, frictionless, right? There's no login, there's no app, there's no... There's no barrier. Anyone can go look at it. It, it, it. That actually helped a lot, right? Because you're already tired. You're already exhausted. And then having to overly explain sometimes, uh, that, that helped a lot. So those those were some steps just in organizing 
uh, you know, what to do and how to do is, is having that shared calendar, uh, having that communication plan. Again, it, it's not necessarily tech specific, but what is the plan with anyone else involved in your care, whether it's, you know, a, a partner or a parent or whatnot? Um, how are you going to communicate? Are you going to use a shared calendar? Are you going to use some kind of collaborative to do? Um, you can give other people access sometimes to these systems, like uh, even the medical systems like MyChart. You can, I didn't do this specifically, but you can let someone else sign into it and see your data. Obviously, it should be like, you know, somebody trust, family or whatnot, but um, you can do that, right? So again, if the treatment plan is really complicated or there's just a lot of questions, you know, no offense to anybody, but giving them a login can reduce uh, all of that uh, and, and, and be a big it, deal. It could or it could also, uh, if it's like a parent, in my case, oh, I'd create more questions. <laughs> um, oh, no. Uh, there's always a double edge. Yeah, totally. Before you move on from my chart, I was going to ask you, because I've used, I use my chart with at least two different organizations in the area. Did you, did you ever hook it up to the health app? Yes, actually. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. Um, having, uh, you can hook it up to Apple Health and Google Fit and stuff. And, and having it dump all my information into health, I really liked, right? Because that to me is more of like my permanent record yeah. of everything. Uh, and for those who have played with the health app, health app some, it's not just medical stuff, right? Like if you, we've all tried like maybe my fitness pal or lose it or some different like uh, calorie tracker or weight management or workout apps, stuff like that. All of that dumps in, right? Or can dump into that central location. And so I've gone back and found that, oh, I have, you know, I have, I have like a, a weight entry or like a workout entry from like four years ago, <laughs> you know, and it's from some app I don't use anymore, but I'm glad it's there. Right. Because you might, you might move away from, from where you live now and your health system is different, but having that, having that in there is, uh, is just awesome. Uh, and for those, for those who didn't know you could do that. Oh, you could, yeah, it's not, it's not just for uh, like stuff like my fitness bow kind of apps. Uh, your actual medical records can dump into Apple health, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I have a couple of devices myself from Withings, blood pressure cuff, and a, a oh, scale. Yeah. They both automatically log in the health app without me even having to do anything. And got the my chart. And then I also, since I got my Series 6 back in, what, October, I've been tracking my sleep. So I've gotten in, I've gotten in the habit now, yeah. which it took me a while because I never slept with my Apple Watch before. But it, working from home makes it even simpler because I have designated spots that I normally go. So like here at my desk, I have like a, I have one of those nice, uh, Vulcan MagSafe triple charge thing that just came out and it's phenomenal, by the way. Um, but oh, yeah. I can just, like just now I was like, oh yeah, I didn't charge my watch yet. And I just pop it on there. Um, and that, the Apple Watch, I know you have one. It, it, how did you, how do you feel like that helped you at all? It was surprising and in some surprising ways. Uh, so the, one of the nice things is, is obviously like fitness tracking people is probably the biggest reasons people get Apple watch. So am I still moving? That played in a little bit because even during chemo, I wanted to make sure I still, you know, still got up, right. Uh, still walked around still. I still tried to hit the, hit the minimum, like 30 minutes of, of exercise, on a given day, which was definitely hard uh, on some days. Um, but beyond that, I really tweaked my notifications mm -hmm. during this time. It, it, I had a lot of time sitting in a chair and a lot of time 
to think, but also a lot of time to like tweak with the stuff that I had. So like for the first time, I like really went in and like, do I really ever want to see a notification for this? No. Do, uh, how important is this one? This one's really important. Um, this one I kind of want, but I don't want it to pop up, right? So doing that deliver quietly thing um, for a few things, that made me really, really focused. Uh, and so if I, if I got a message, uh, especially running around or walking around a hospital campus or during chemo, it was, it was likely to be, you know, pretty focused, pretty important. Um, getting that right was big. The real surprise though with Apple Watch, uh, during this time for me was actually heart rate monitoring though, surprisingly. So I've, I've always looked at the heart data, um, especially working out a fair amount. Like I'm looking at like, oh, you know, over the past few months, what's my resting heart rate? Is, is it going down? Right. Cause that again, it's not proof per se, but if your resting average is going down, that's a good sign that you're getting a little bit more fit, right? Um, at, you know, super athletes tend to have really low resting heart rate. Um, and so I, I, I was familiar with looking at that. Uh, and so I noticed that at first what would happen during chemo is my resting heart rate started to creep back up. And I'm like, okay, not really working out anything like I was. That's not really surprising. But like, why is it going up? in like a matter of days, right? <laughs> not, not months. And then I would start getting those notifications that like, Hey, your heart rate's over a hundred heart rate's over a hundred. And I'm just sitting in a chair, not really stressed out. I've got, I think I've gotten those at work like once or twice where, okay, I'm, I'm kind of just standing at the desk or sitting and like, I'm, I'm totally stressed out. And like, and I've, yeah, but so I was familiar that it could happen. But normally like watching a TV show or something, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Um, and then I started just noticing, holy crap, like my, my actual rate right now is like 130 or even, I think at the peak, it got to like 140, like just sitting in a chair at home and my heart was going, like I thought it was possibly having some kind of heart attack, right? And so it turns out, of course, that one of the chemo drugs, <laughs> uh, again, cisplatin, uh, just devastates your heart muscle tissue, right? And so it makes your heart very, very weak. Um, luckily it's not like forever, but, um, I mean, it, it immediately and profoundly can affect your heart. So what was happening, um, you know, I ended up going to the ER once, uh, not because like I felt that I had to go, but like, as soon as I tried to get my regular doctor to look at it, they're like, you need to go to the ER, like, like your heart's out of control. <laughs> and so I, 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 yes, you kind of know your heart rate and you can take your own pulse and you might feel fatigued. Um, but having this thing on my wrist that says, this is your heart rate. And again, you might be able to do, you know, take your heart rate once with certain devices, but having that data of like, no doc, like it wasn't 140 just once. Here's the graph from like all of today. Look at this thing. Right. And they're like, okay, you need to go to the ER, <laughs> you know? Um, so that was very surprising and something I didn't know. Nobody prepared me for, didn't read about it. Even with all of the documentation, the binders of documentation, um, related to the chemo treatment, they didn't mention this. Uh, and again, and nobody at fault. I know it's a lot of information, but I was totally unprepared um, to be to have to manage like a runaway heart rate. And I wouldn't have even really known what was going on if it wasn't for the watch. So that was huge. <laughs> yeah, that was huge. Um, I, you know, and it's one of those things. It's it's nowhere near as serious as like atrial fibrillation or, or some of the other issues that are being you know, uh, reported uh, by people. But yeah, what would have happened if, you know, it, it, if nothing else, we know that like having a very high resting rate is beating you up more than you need to be beat up. Right. And it's, 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 it's bad. Um, 
So that, that was really useful. And then, and then I would able, I was also able to watch it during working out. So like if I was doing um, something relatively minor, like the rowing machine, um, I would, I would be able to control my pace, not just how I felt, right? Cause a lot of times we're getting endorphins, we're getting drugs, if you will. And we're, you know, if you're running, you might not really feel the pain, but like, it's still time to stop. So having this, this machine tell me like, here's your heart rate right now. Uh, I, I was able to row at a pace that was less comfortable, or I mean, it was more comfortable than I would, would have been willing to, I, I would be willing to work a lot harder, but I was looking at my watch and saying, okay, like this, this is as high as I want the heart rate to go, right? And it would still be much higher than it normally was. It's just I'm working with a weaker heart rate now. So I've got to kind of make sure I don't get too fatigued. And that would happen. That was before I was paying as much attention to that. That would happen during a couple workouts. I'd, I'd suddenly just be like, holy crap. Like, did I just you know, sprint until I passed out is what it felt like. But I, w- I was just doing like some jumping jacks, right? And then I would just be like, there, there's like, I'm tired, like I need to go to sleep. But then there's that weird cardio fatigue where your, your heart is like, dude, stop. <laughs> right. And that's what, that's what I was feeling. So yeah, watch, watch was huge on that. Huge. I know you have a, a few like things jotted down. What other things did you use? Yeah. Um, kind of connecting back to COVID a little bit. Um, COVID opened the door to much more telehealth. So yeah. started using some of that was browser based. Some of that, of course, is, is like Zoom. Um, but just minor appointments that didn't require labs and other appointments unrelated to cancer, like with my PCP and with others. Um, it was nice to be able to do that on telehealth because it's just one less time to drive. Yes. It's one less thing to wait for. And you're, you're just... If you've ever been tired of going to the doc, talk to someone who's had a chronic illness or a perpetual illness or something like cancer, and like they'll tell you you don't know tired. <laughs> like oh, I've been to the doc seventeen times this week, yeah. <laughs> or something, yeah. right? So like, uh, yeah. So anything that can be, uh, if it's just going to be a conversation, let's please just do it. On yeah. And I and again, I like going. I, I'm okay with driving. I'm not. I'm good to go around town, but like, there's a point for everybody. So the telehealth uh, has been huge. Uh, and then on top, on top of COVID, right? Just like you're, you're immunosuppressed, uh, during chemotherapy, uh, you, you have a risk higher than anyone else of, or not higher than some people or many people of getting just anything, yeah. right? the flu or whatever, right? So like cutting one less trip, especially into a place where there are sick people, uh, is a, is a good health decision. Um, so that, that was huge for that. Um, uh, using, using stuff like that. Um, Another one that's kind of might seem a little left field, but one of the one of the crazy fun things about managing cancer treatment or any kind of long term treatment is money and expenses. And um, they're they're I, so I switched. I was I was using hey, Simple Bank. Things. Yeah, fun <laughs> with quotes around it. Yeah, oh, I got another you. fun thing about it. Yeah, fun things. So I was using, uh, like a lot of people, I've used a diff- couple of different things for budgeting. Um, and I've been kind of on and off as far as budgeting in terms of level of strictness to the budget. Um, and in starting out treatment, I uh, I was like, you know, I'm so lucky. You know, I've got like a good good company health plan. And sure, I've got like everybody some out of pocket. But once I once I spend a few grand and even though I don't want to spend that and maybe open up some savings, uh, once I once I get to my out of pocket maximum for the year, then I'm good and they'll cover all this stuff. Except that that isn't true, or it wasn't true for me. 
So what I was finding is lots of things that I needed, whether it was like medicine or especially CT scans and even stuff like blood labs. I would look at, again, like peer-reviewed papers or look at like very common um, treatment plans. And this was all just the way it is. Like this is the plan for this kind of cancer. It seems to be pretty, pretty agreed on universally. It doesn't seem to be controversial. And a lot of this information is really old, the 30, 40 year old treatment plans. Um, but my insurance company would just say, no, no, like we, you've already paid the out-of-pocket maximum. Sure. But we're just not going to cover it at all. And so I'd be faced with like, okay, you know, what does a CT scan cost? Oh, it's $2,000, <laughs> you know, or you know, what does a blood lab cost? Oh, a comprehensive one, uh, 400 bucks. Cause they just don't, they just, they just won't cover it. And so I realized very quickly that like a lot of, well, not even a lot of people, but I, I have a little bit of emergency saved up and I, I was okay spending some of that emergency fund because this is an emergency. But I realized quickly that if I didn't change my budget, I was going to fall into the trap of a lot of people and be putting medical stuff on a credit card, right? Or, uh, or just taking the medical debt, you know, and, and, and I, I didn't want to, didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, if I could. So then on top of that, we had COVID. Of course, we keep saying COVID, but a lot of us, faced um, job loss and a lot of us faced it like in my case a furlough or pay cuts right so we were we did luckily we we got out of that later in the year but at first I think we cut we had to cut the whole company like 25% across the board so you got you got budget pressure coming from multiple directions you got less to work with which that, that alone would be devastating to to almost anyone uh, but then you also have these crazy expenses so I, I realized that okay I've I've dipped my toe in the water before but I got to get real serious real fast and have like a real big boy budget, if you will. Um, and so I, I, I went back to YNAB, which I'd used before. Um, I don't think there's one right solution for anybody, by the way, when it comes to a lot of apps, but especially budget. Uh, a lot of people get to a point of almost like uh, religious frenzy <laughs> when it comes to like their system. Uh, I would encourage people to find something that works for you. And there's a lot of choices out there and try them. And it's okay if you try it for a month and then try something else. Uh, yeah, just uh, but I would encourage everybody to think about that and revisit, even if you're feeling pretty good right now. So I, I got back into YNAB, which is acronym for Do You Need a Budget, has an app, has a website. Um, the biggest thing about it uh, for me was getting back to a philosophy called giving every dollar a job, um, just forcing you to plan like, what are you going to spend next month? And then, you know, if you, if you, if you don't, make, or if you spend more than that, or you're going to have to spend more than that, you have to take it from somewhere else. Um, the key there, this is also called envelope budgeting for a lot of people and a lot of systems. Um, the key there is really just the planning and commitment. Um, and it's not really magic, right? When it, the magic is like sort of the conversation you have with yourself. When you say, I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on, you know, like eating out and then you actually do it, or you spend a hundred dollars on eating out uh, and then you need to spend a little bit more. That means you need to take it from clothes or video games <laughs> or whatever. Um, sure, you could just override yourself and just spend it anyway, right? But like th these systems, when you set them up, they sort of make you take the money from somewhere else, right? And that, there's an element of guilt there, and there's some psychology there and stuff. But it it really does work when you get on uh, when you get on you know a pretty stringent system. So having to plan for that was was great. Um, or it was great to, to get me able to find those dollars and to, and, and to, 
sometimes we all think, oh, there's nowhere for me to save money. Like, I, okay, maybe I could like eat out a little less, but like there's nowhere else in my budget. My budget's pretty set, right? Like there's my car payment isn't changing or my electric bill is kind of the same every month. But um, I thought that way too. And I was, I was definitely wrong, you know, in, in, in terms of th- there's definitely places where I could, where I could change stuff up, having everything in front of you, um, including all your subscriptions and uh, all your actual expenses and stuff is, it, I highly encourage people to, to really, really do that. Um, and so I was, a- I was able to luckily juggle all of these extra expenses um, and, and able to make them and, and not not go into debt, but only because uh, I sort of prioritized it, right? I said, okay, like not not going into more debt for this kind of stuff is a priority. Um, and and does that mean I cut, say, something totally frivolous like YouTube premium <laughs> or something, right? Sure, that's easy to do. Or does that mean I maybe eat out less and do more groceries, which I should do anyway, right? Which people should do anyway, <laughs> you know? Or does that mean that I... It, so it... it by prioritizing uh, the medical payments and, and, and using this, this app, it really made me think about everything differently. Even stuff like, um, even stuff like clothing and stuff and, and, and shoes and maybe consider different brands or different stores or even like used items and stuff like that. Like everything was on the table, like really on the table. Do I have to do it the way I've been doing? Do I have to spend the way I've been spending? Um, even my savings, like whatever I save, like, is it, it might sound good to save, you know, a hundred dollars a month for vacation or something, some vague vacation, not a specific vacation, but like that was another area that COVID helped is actually I've freed up a hundred dollars a month because we don't go on vacation, <laughs> you know, uh, because we're not going anytime soon at least. So yes, I do want to save in the future toward, you know, hypothetical vacations because it's better to do that than to you know put them on a credit card. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage people to put that be one of your envelopes as vacation, but it's an easy one to cut if you have to, right? Because it's not, it's not, it is a need. You do need a break, <laughs> but it's not a need in the same way that food and like medical care is. So yeah. So uh, some kind of budgeting app is huge for me. It was YNAB this time around, but I've used many others in the past. And um, yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely encourage every, anybody in any financial situation to do that, even if you think you're really well off, you could probably be better well off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so. Totally. No, I, I never, that's a very real valid point. You know, another one of those things that I don't really, I would imagine people don't really talk about is medical expense budgeting, you know, or budgeting because of medical expenses like that. Yeah. Once again, as you said, like everybody's different. Um, different approaches and everybody has different insurance plans or whatever, but it's certainly something to consider that I hadn't really thought about if you're facing a situation where you know something is going to be for a long-term period of time, even if not forever. Yeah. And same thing with um, stuff like having a vacation envelope. Um for those that you'll, people will talk about, have one for like home maintenance, right? Well, we just bought our home. Put 20 bucks a month in there, right? And then in five years, when you have to do a roof repair, you pay cash and you pay cash. It's like it rolls right off your back. Like, well, yeah, that sucks. But it's a totally different vibe than if most of us who haven't planned on it and haven't expected it um, are facing a roof repair. We're going to be really frustrated. Like, even if you have $100,000 in your checking account, 
right? And you're facing a $3,000 roof repair, you're going to be annoyed, frustrated, <laughs> you know? But if you had already put it on the, in the budget, it's, it's inevitable. <laughs> you're going to, it's a car repair, roof repair. So I would encourage people, including myself, once I'm fully over the hump here, uh, to put some amount of money into your know, future medical expenses. I hope that you never have any. But you probably will, right? Like if you're human, you probably will have something happen. Um, maybe it'll be chronic. Maybe it'll be an emergency, like a yeah, some kind of uh, scraped my knee kind of thing. Or you know, hopefully it's something relatively minor and quick. Um, but 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 you can feel so much better by being prepared for it that way too. Because it's just with all this treatment, the last thing you need is just piling up bills, right? Or or like a lot of people facing. Uh, potential massive debt or even bankruptcy, right? We know that most, or I don't know if it's most, but a huge percentage of bankruptcies are because of medical debt, not necessarily because somebody you know, bought big TVs and a bunch of sneakers and stuff. So, yeah. Certainly you and I can agree, and I'm I'm not going to go down this can of worms, but in a better world, we would not even have to worry about medical debt. Yeah, thinking about earlier when we were talking about... um looking at what you can control, right? Like that's, that's a huge one um, because yeah, your insurance uh, situation or a lot of times your job situation even, um, but certainly like how your country does healthcare is way beyond your control, right? So you, you absolutely uh, uh, fight that fight in another place, another day, maybe, but when you're, when you're in the middle of getting care, um, a lot of stuff just comes down to, uh, Pointless complaining, really, rather, right? Or, or it, I might agree with every feeling you have, but like it all goes back to you. What can you control? What can you prepare for? And, and I assure you in the future, you will face some medical expense of some kind. And so having, having, uh, that saved. And, and again, I think, I think, I think having that specifically saved can be really helpful, right? Even if you had the money in some big giant bucket, but it wasn't labeled. It's going to feel crappy to take away some of that and pay for a tooth repair or something, right? That happens. But when you when you have that in a, you sort of already planned for it. It, it feels so much better. Um, some of that uh, makes me think of like uh, some of the noble truths uh, of, of Buddhism, right? Like you just you, when you some of it can seem negative, but like when you expect there to be suffering of some sort and you're sort of mentally prepared for it, it's not as big of a deal. Um, it's, I don't see that as a negative thing. I see that as, it's more of just a realistic thing and sometimes even positive, right? It, it's very weird when you're like, oh, cool, lab core in the mail, $300. All right, cool. And I just, you know, it's, it's like you, you kind of realize you're insane in a way, but you're insane because you're like a budget nerd. <laughs> Not, uh, where me just even a year ago would have been like, oh my God, stupid. Like, why don't they cover this? And I would just be so upset and, you know, it's, it's totally different. Yeah. You, you totally can choose your energy to pick your battles for ones that you might actually win, uh, as opposed yep. to screaming till you're blue in the face with no, to no avail. So I totally agree with that. What are any, any of the other tools that you'd like to mention? Uh, I think those, those were some of the major ones, the, the, the big killer being that organizational system, operating system, might be a combination of things, paper, calendar. I definitely recommend some kind of to-do management. 
because uh, there's going to be a lot to do in there. Yeah. Uh, having a central central repositories of information like Apple Health where you can or like uh, a things or some kind of to-do uh, application. Uh, even if that stuff is elsewhere, having it all centralized as well uh, can be useful. Um, having that data, lab data, uh, diagnostic data, next step data, and something like MyChart is great. Uh, having your information uh, and community, uh, in my case was Apollo for Reddit and just the internet in general, but having having that communication um, and that network of support um, that's outside of your core, like family, friends, and stuff like that. Uh, if you feel you need that, uh, is is super positive. Um, mental health was something I kept close in mind, and I, I I grabbed an app or two, like like BetterHelp and stuff, and the, explored them just to kind of keep them in the bag, um, because I realized that this this kind of thing, um, long term treatment, uh, possibly facing disabilities, possibly facing death. Um, these things all have a toll on us and we're often not the best judge of what our state actually is. And so having, having, um, I, I never really had to go down the road of like full-time like therapy or, or, or anything like that. But I, I recognized that it was a possibility and I recognized that I should be open to that, um, right off, you know, right off the bat. So, um, there's a lot of, um, sort of connecting back to telehealth. A lot of that stuff has gone, uh, telehealth as well. And there's some really cool services that are kind of emerging and some really cool apps. Uh, my fiance's mother is actually a psychiatrist and her practice uh, went almost 100% remote because of COVID, right? But now she's kind of got the gears spinning and thinking, hmm, why don't I just do remote in general and uh, don't don't really care where you live if, I mean, you have to get licensed in different states and stuff, but like it would be totally worth it if she had enough clients, uh, let's say in a neighboring state or uh, enough clients that over time have moved to different states um, to get another license in another state wouldn't be, it would be a big deal to do like everything everywhere, but like, yeah, getting a couple more states wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, impossible if the business demanded it. That's great. Uh, I'm so glad that you, you brought all that up. Um, you know, I, as we kind of look to, to wrap here, um, what, so we kind of got up to September we're now here in March of 2021. Uh, you want to kind of just like give a, a brief from then till now prognosis, that kind of thing. Well, so expected, like a lot of people expected, okay, all right, got the chemo done in September. So I'm, I'm done. Right. <laughs> and the, uh, cause chemo is boy, that was, that was, that was a beat down, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of days you just sleep all day and, and stuff like that. Um, or you find yourself like going up a single flight of stairs and then you're just like panting, like panting, like you sprinted until you dropped. It's so weird. <laughs> right. Um, and that's for somebody that's like, I obviously have a long way to go, but like, I'm reasonably fit. I can, I can go up a flight of stairs <laughs> without like gulping in air, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so from, it was pretty disappointing when I learned that, okay, the, it's not that the chemo didn't work at all, but it, didn't solve the problem. So like when I got the first CT um, and then the second CT after chemo, the lymph nodes had actually gotten even bigger and they didn't, they didn't shrink. And so we had to do a, um, had to do a surgery to remove like 40 lymph nodes. Uh, and it was, it's a very difficult surgery. Um, back to, back to sort of Reddit and uh, reading and community and preparation. 
I was prepared for this too, though, because lots of people said that that was their experience, that they went through chemo and then had to do this RPLND uh, surgery. So was fortunate here that they do this laparoscopically, um, at least in, in this area. Um, anyone facing an abdominal surgery, I would encourage uh, laparoscopy. Yeah. Uh, even if you have to travel, I, I read that people were flying like from Florida to Chicago to go get this because like the laparoscopic method is so much better than, you know, what they would have done uh, in open, right, is from sternum basically to your, not even your waist to below your waist. Uh, it, it, very battle axe looking uh, scar there. So was able to get this done November laparoscopically. Um, it was really long. It was like 11 hour surgery. I couldn't believe how long it was. Um, and it was, it was a good, good few days to recover um, to where I was like walking and, and, and stuff. But they said, you know, the other kind you're shoot open surgery of this kind, you're in the hospital for like two weeks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bad. Yeah. So, uh, so luckily after that, um, uh, the pathology came back and it turns out that the particular tumors that they found in the lymph nodes were teratomas, which this is one of those weird things about cancer, uh, being defined, um, in sort of ne a nebulous way is they're kind of cancer. In other words, like you have benign tumor is like the best thing. It's, oh, it's a benign tumor. You don't have to do anything at all, right? Especially, you know, a lot of us have, in fact, my understanding is we all have benign tumors. Maybe they're microscopic, but we all have various little cysts and tumors and harmless things all, all over the body. Um, so this is like almost that, not quite. It's almost that. So the teratoma spreads so slowly that it's not much of a concern. Um, and because they cut it out, there's next to zero chance that it's anywhere else. So that means should be done. Um, it was late January that I had a, the first CT after this surgery. Um, and the, the CT had the beautiful no evidence of disease uh, at the bottom of it, which is, which is great. Um, so I should be in the clear. <laughs> uh, you still have to monitor it. I have another CT in April. I think after that, we switch to like yearlies and I think we do labs every six months or so, but it's, it's looking pretty, pretty good. So if the April one's clear, then I get this port taken out, which that's for those who have ever seen it, you, when you're facing chemo, um, sometimes they'll install this thing called a port, which is basically like a rubber ball somewhere near your skin and, and it connects to one of your major arteries and they, they put the, uh, the needle into that. Um, and this, this is much better than getting an IV because if you, if you get an IV like every day or multiple times a day, like it'll, your arms will essentially kind of be destroyed. <laughs> like your, your veins and stuff just can't, can't, uh, they'll harden and it'll, it'll become more difficult in the future to get IVs at that site and stuff. So uh, I'll be really happy to take the port out. Um, it's good to have, but it's also one of those things like it's kind of annoying. It's, you know, it's a minor complaint, but it's like, it's annoying. It's kind of near your neck and it's like, so like it's like you have this little golf ball. You feel like a skin. Tony Stark a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a Tony Stark. It's hard to, like, it's hard to not mess with it because it's like right there and just like, it's, I don't know, it might gross some people out. For me, it's more just like, oh. If I lay down wrong, I'm like, oh, shoot, yeah. the thing is there. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So that'll be exciting. A few more weeks might be able to get that taken out. And then, awesome. then I'll feel like, oh, it's done. I know right. some people save their ports. They put them like in a jar. It's kind of weird, but it's like definitely a thing with cancer care. I would. Like, I would. Yeah. I'd put that yeah, thing yeah, on my desk like, or something. <laughs> it's like this weird rubber ball with the wires coming out. Right. 
That, that's great. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. So appreciative for you being able to, to be a, a very special guest on here and to share your journey and your story and to share a unique perspective of something that a lot of people go through. I hope that people out there listening, even if it's just one person, can glean something from your experience. From what it sounds like, multiple people will be gleaning multiple things based on you saying that there's, there wasn't a lot out there for about four or five things you mentioned. Um, so that's great. I'm glad that you were able to, to get those out there. Where can people find you, follow you, anything else that you'd like to share? Oh, well, where can people find you and follow you? It's, it's funny you mentioned that because probably the, the, the last thing I didn't mention is keep keeping folks informed, right? So people have different different strategies uh, for keeping folks informed. Um, I used uh, I just used uh, little contacts and little CRM myself to uh, to kind of make sure that I let people and family and loved ones uh, kind of get a status update, right? Because you don't want to have that person that's like, you haven't told me what happened after that last thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't even I don't even mean that. necessarily about your cancer journey, but just you in general, because you're you're yeah, a fun sure. guy. You know, you got you have way other things going on, like uh, your constant battle with Apple software, um, and then just your cancer. It doesn't define you. Uh, so I, I mean more of you as a person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on the major. Uh, at least most of the major networks, so so may we all, um, kind of like so say we all, but so may we all. Um, find me on the PlayStation and Twitter and Instagram that way, um, and usually around uh, some of the some of the nerdier Mac places on the on the internet, Mr. Macintosh and a Mac System Admin Sub, uh, Mac Admin Slack is pretty big for those of y'all who are in IT and Mac stuff. Mac Admin Slack is a good place to. Uh, to learn a lot from a lot of helpful people as well. So, and I'll, I'll be on there contributing sometimes and mostly getting questions answered like a lot of us sometimes. That's so. great. Well, thank you so much. Maybe we'll have you on again someday either to follow up or talk about something else. Thank you. Thanks, Will.